When we think of pressure points, we often think of pressure that is bad, that is negative, but pressure can be a good thing. Pressure can be an agent of change that God will use. Sometimes he'll allow things to happen in our lives that we don't necessarily like, but creates pressure on us and in us so that we are forced to change forced to experience his power in our lives. We, we get to that point where we don't know what else to do or to say. And so the pressure can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. It can be a very bad thing. In fact, doctors tell us that. Research shows, I recently read, that 90%, 90% of all illnesses are related in some form or fashion to stress to pressure. And we don't know how to process that pressure, that stress. And so it affects us physically and it can be debilitating and it can kill people because we don't manage the stress, the pressure that comes on us by the circumstances of life. And so today I want to talk about four particular, over the next four weeks, four particular pressures, pressure points that the enemy will use against us, but God has a word for us. And today we're going to talk about relationships. That that's one of the major pressure points of our lives, right? And so God, listen, here's the bottom line of the sermon today. God wants you to be reconciled with him and with others. Now, how does that happen? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at Acts 10 and 11. I'm not going to read all of the passages that are there but I want to give you a little context. It's a great story. It's a great event that happened with the apostle Peter. Uh, the Bible tells us that uh, in the latter half of chapter 9, the, the end of chapter 9, Peter has been in a city near Joppa. Joppa is on the Mediterranean Sea. It's also known as Jaffa, all right? Jaffa or Joppa. Uh, so there... Peter is asked to come to Joppa. A woman has died. Her name is Tabitha or Dorcas. It's also translated. She died and he goes and he gets everybody out of the room and he prays and she is raised from the dead. It's a tremendous miracle that takes place. And so with that, he, um, he gets hungry. Now, let me pause there for a moment. Uh, the Bible says that there's a man named Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion, and he uh, is living in Joppa. And he uh, realizes that uh, through a vision that God has something that he wants to say to him. He has this vision, and the Lord says to go send men to Peter and ask him to come because he has something he wants to share. And so the men make their way to find Peter. And so while Peter is on the roof of this house, he's praying. It's in the middle of the day. It's noon. And the Bible says that he's hungry. And while he's hungry, he has this vision. It's the vision of a sheet that is spread out. It's pulled by the four corners and is coming down out of heaven. 
And on the sheet are four-footed animals. There are birds. Uh, there are um, reptiles that are on this sheet. And it's coming out. It's a strange thing. And the Lord says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I can't kill and eat because uh, that is unclean. It is uncommon. I've never eaten anything that is unclean or uncommon. And three times the Lord tells him, three is a big number in the Bible. Three times he tells him to do that. And so he comes out of this visionary state. The Bible says perplexed. He doesn't really understand what it means. Well, during that time, these men show up at the house where Peter is. And they say, hey, Cornelius has had a vision. And here's what it is. And so Peter agrees to go to the home of Cornelius, this Roman centurion who's a Gentile. That means he's not a Jew. And so he gets everybody together and he says, okay, we're here. And we know that God has given you a word and so we want to hear the word. So here it is in chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation... The person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. He's referencing, of course, Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Let me stop. Now, if you want to have a definition of the gospel, I'm getting ready to read it to you. Somebody says, what is the gospel? You talk about the gospel. That literally means good news. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? All right, so I'm going to give it to you. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, we find that Paul, his uh, version of the good news or the gospel, the summary is that Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried. That's Old Testament scriptures. He died according to Old Testament scriptures. He was buried. He was raised from the dead according to Old Testament scriptures. And then he appeared to the apostles. He appeared to 500 and to even me. Of course, uh, during the time he was on the earth for 40 uh, days, that happened until later he appeared to to, uh, Paul. Now, so that's his nutshell of the gospel. Now, here's Peter's. He says that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit with power and how he went about doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree, that is the cross. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, witnesses appointed beforehand by God who ate and drank with him. That means it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't some spirit walking around. After he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets... Old Testament prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish believers, 
who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out on the Gentiles also. Again, anybody other than a Jew. For they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. All right, it's a great passage of Scripture. And we're going to see the core issue is dealing with relationships here and the tension of the relationships between the Jews and the Gentiles and how it speaks to us today. So how is it that we are able to have right relationships? Number one, follow God's plan. Follow God's plan. And he lists this out in the text. Number one, the first step of that is that God will burden your heart. You'll realize there's a problem in a relationship that needs to be resolved. God revealed that Peter had a problem and his problem was being prejudiced against the Gentiles. Now, Peter was a Jew who had converted to Christ. And so uh, he, he was very committed as a Jew. So he had a real problem with the gospel going to the Gentiles, and he lived in this tension. Now, in 11, chapter, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 28, we see how this is played out. And notice what he says. In fact, let me start up. Well, yeah, 28. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. You see, the purpose of the vision of the sheet coming down with the unclean or uncommon animals on it was not necessarily about food that was unclean. It was about people who the Jews thought were unclean, that they weren't deserving of the gospel. Think of it. That they actually thought that they're not deserving of the gospel. They're not not one of us. So here you have the tension. He was prejudiced. Now, prejudice plays itself out in all kinds of ways. It's what you're experiencing in Israel right now between the Jews and the Palestinians. There's tension there. They're prejudiced. They're biased uh, in a very, very deep way. And it's been that way for millenniums. I pastored in Jackson, Mississippi for eight years. I didn't fully understand prejudice until I moved there and lived in that environment. And let me tell you, it's it's a very real issue. And it's it's an issue here in our city in some form or fashion. And it's an issue in your life because we all have a tendency to back away from people who are different from us. It might be white on white or black on black or whatever, but we have this tension within us of being prejudiced against other individuals. We're prejudiced against other denominations. They're not like us. All right? Uh, uh, Other Christians, who how they express their faith, all the rest. So we have this problem of prejudice. So here's this darkness in his heart, and God puts a laser beam on it and says, Peter, you got a problem. And he has this vision to help him understand the problem. And God will reveal to you, if he hadn't already, in these first few minutes help you understand that you may be having a problem against somebody else and that relationship needs to be dealt with and reconciled in some form or fashion. A name, a face, a friend, a family member will come to your mind. You may not secondly understand what God, what, you may not like what God is saying about this situation. Verse 14, what does Peter say? No, Lord, no, I'm not going to eat that. Verse 17, Peter, the Bible says, was deeply perplexed 
about the vision. What was it meaning to him? Peter's tradition excuse me, taught him that his prejudice was right. It was okay to feel that way. It was part of the culture. God said it was wrong. Now you may, be feel, you may feel justified in your prejudice against somebody else for whatever reason, but God says it is wrong. Whether you understand it or like it, what God is saying is not the issue. God said Peter was wrong and repeated it three times. You see, truth cannot be ignored, and our feelings have to give way to God's truth. We're often more concerned about truth that separates us than truth that identifies and brings us together. You see, this is the whole problem of identity politics in our nation today, that people are concerned with truth that separates us from each other. And so we have all these pockets, and we've seen that manifested especially over the last several years of how people are searching for truth that separates them and makes them unique. And so the only thing they care about is truth that relates to them. When the whole point of the gospel is to take our differences and bring us together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of the church, is that the body of Christ unites all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, think about it. Now, God brings us together, and so we are so concerned about our identity. You know, God didn't create the Baptist. Did you know that? He didn't create the Methodists or the Presbyterians or all the rest of mainline denominations. Man created that. And so we focus on the things that make us unique, where we need to have a kingdom view. I'll get to that in a few moments as, as, uh, as a point. So... Is your attitude this morning about your truth or about God's truth? What, what you think is right or what God says is right about the circumstance, about the person? Notice also, to follow God's plan, you must follow God's leadership. Verse 23 and in verse 29, the Bible says that Peter goes to Cornelius. So we have to go when God says to go. We go where God says to go, and we go to whom God says to go to. So if that's what God is doing in your heart right now, we have to act in obedience to that. Peter didn't understand what God was doing or taking place. He didn't fully understand the conversation that was going to happen. But he was willing to obey God's voice. That's the bottom line. Remember those in Bible Initiative on Sunday nights? We see that in Abraham. The bottom line for Abraham, he was a man of faith because he obeyed God's voice. Even when he didn't understand it, he didn't know where he was going, but he was willing to obey. Now notice also God brings people together. God was revealing his will to Peter in a vision, leading the apostle, the Jew, to a Gentile. He was also speaking to the Roman Gentile Cornelius, instructing him to bring Peter so that he might listen to his teaching. One was willing to give, one was willing to receive. One was willing to speak, one was willing to listen. And God is working right now in the conflict that you're in to bring the two together and bring reconciliation. Whether you are, if you put that out of your mind, God hasn't, and He's working. Notice also, part of God's plan is that there's a spiritual reason why you should be reconciled. Verse 33. So we are all present before God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. They put aside their differences 
so that they could hear from God. Think about how much you've missed of God because you're focused on your difference rather than what God has to say. You couldn't hear him. You can't hear him because of the prejudice that might be in your heart, the conflict that's not reconciled. Notice also the message of reconciliation is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, so I've already mentioned Paul's um, perspective in 1 Corinthians 15. Peter lays it out here. Number one, it is centered in the Christ who lived. The Messiah lived. That's what the word Christ means. It means the Messiah of the Old Testament, the one who was prophesied. So he is preaching a message to Jews and Gentiles alike, but particularly the Jews need to know that the Messiah has come. Verse 38, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Now, what is he saying there? God healed people physically and he healed them spiritually. And he often used the means of healing them physically to make the spiritual point. The point was not that your sin, that your, your, your sickness is healed, that your sin is healed, and that you are now reconciled with God. Notice, secondly, the point of, of the gospel. It is centered in the Christ who died. Verse 39, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. The Jews were involved in that. The Romans were involved in that. But ultimately, it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. They're the ones who executed the decision, Pilate, to put him on the cross. But it was our sin that put him there. Third, it is centered in the Christ who lives. Verse 40, God raised up this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen. So many were able to see Jesus, over 500, again, Paul says, who saw Jesus, but he lives. Notice, fourth, it is centered in the Christ who will forgive you of your sin. Verse 43, you need to circle, underline this verse. Through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. Now, if somebody asks you, what is the heart of the gospel message? What does it boil down to? It boils down to that one verse. You can give them the facts of who Christ is and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. But the whole point of it was so that man's sin could be forgiven. And that's what sends a man to hell. So what is it that changes a man's state spiritually? It is the fact that his sin can be forgiven. The cross was the means by which that happened. But the whole bottom line of it is that your sin is forgiven. And without that, there is no hope. There is no hope. Now, Let's uh, see what the Bible says about that. Romans chapter 5, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, all God's design, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, that's a good thing. Christ died for us. But hey, there's something more. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through uh, through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? 
So not only did Jesus die for me, but more than that, I'm not going to face God's wrath. I'll be able to live. Oh, but there's more. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, the third thing is that I can be made right with God. I can know God. I can have a relationship with God. Now, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Excuse me, chapter 5. And let me begin in verse 16. You don't have this on the screen, but listen to me. From now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him like that. That means now we know him spiritually, relationally. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Isn't that great news? All things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's the heart of the gospel? It is Jesus Christ. It is that your sin can be forgiven, which means the next point. God desires for you to be reconciled with him. Notice verse 43, everyone who believes. John 3, 16, whosoever believes. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, if you continue the passage I just read, look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. Now, Cornelius was a very religious man who did good things. Chapter 10, verse 2 affirms that. He was a devout man and feared God along with his household, whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Now, what's the point of this whole passage? Cornelius was a good man. He was a very religious man, a devout man, a moral man, but he still needed Jesus. Now, please hear me, church, and the church at large, because there are those in the church who say this, a good moral person, God understands and will let that person into heaven. I am sorry, but that's not what this passage just said. That's not what the Bible teaches in its entirety. Because if that were true, we want to say to somebody, oh yes, God loves you and God's going to let you in because you're a good moral person. And that's enough for you to get into heaven. If that is true, then why would God put his son Jesus on the cross for your sin? It makes no sense. The cross is a joke. It's a mockery if he did that, if that is true. So when somebody asks you or they stick a microphone in your face and say, is it really true that Jesus is the only way that a person can go to heaven? Is it really true that a good moral person will not go to heaven if he doesn't have Jesus in his heart? You need to be ready to answer that question. 
You need to be able to say with confidence, as Paul says, I am certain, I am confident that this is the truth. Now, we help people in a loving way come to understand the truth. We don't beat them up with the message. But we cannot deceive them into believing that they're okay when they're not. And there's so much to say about that. It's so disappointing. It's so frustrating as a pastor of a church. Look, if you're a guest, let me just say that you need to know that we, we believe the Bible's true. We believe the gospel is true. And we believe what Jesus said about himself. And we, and we believe what it says that, that a person needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So everything we do here is centered around the gospel. And it's to help people know the gospel in this room, in this community, and around the world. And we send people. We send money. My heart is heavy today. Because I know what the gospel can do in changing people's lives. I've seen it time and time again. As a family came to this church... over a year ago, who did not know Jesus. They had no way of knowing Jesus. They had no way of knowing Him. And they came, and they found Christ. They're leaving tomorrow. To go to another place, another country. And their lives are forever different. This church loved on them. You, you, you showed them, as they've told me, what it means to be a Christian. You taught them. You discipled them. They now prepared for the next stage in their journey of faith. It's truly a miracle of God what has happened. There's so much of this story I cannot share. One day I will. But now God is going to plant them in a place where they need the gospel. And God's going to use them, as Paul says, ambassador for Christ. So that's why we're serious about the message of the gospel. And we could have said, hey, you're good people. You're kind to others. You're okay. But the problem is they had a sin nature as all good moral people do, and that sin nature has to be dealt with. And it's only dealt with by a Father in heaven who loved us so much and hates sin so much that he put his Son on the cross for you and for me. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell for how we have rebelled against God. 
but out of his grace and his mercy and his love, he has forgiven us. That is the heart of the gospel. That's what it means. God wants you to follow his plan. Not man's plan, but his plan. It works. Now, some of you are really worried right now because that's just the first point of the sermon. (laughs) But we're going to finish it up quickly, all right? Number two, there will be criticism if you're serious about reconciling man with God and with others. Notice chapter 11, verse 2. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, those who stressed circumcision argued with him, saying, You visited uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Well, Peter simply followed God's instruction. And when you try to do the right thing, don't be surprised if you're going to face opposition. It's predictable. The enemy does not want you to say anything about Jesus, the gospel. He doesn't want you to be involved in reconciling men to God and with each other. So it's going to happen. It might be from the person you're trying to reconcile or... It might be someone else trying to discourage you, even well-meaning people. Notice third, God will vindicate you. Verse 17, therefore, if God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us, that is the Holy Spirit, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Now here God is sustaining Peter. He's giving him strength in the midst of the opposition, holding on to the truth. Psalm 112.4 says, Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. God may be placing you in a place where you'll be criticized. Thank Him for it. Because you've been found worthy to suffer for His name's sake. He'll vindicate you sooner or later. And to know He's with you. Notice, number four, God desires for the critic to learn. You may be a critic. You may not feel really that comfortable about reconciling with somebody else. Maybe you've got a prejudice problem against somebody else or a group of people. Well, number one, here's what you can learn. You might be wrong. Verse 18, it says, when they heard this, they became silent. They had no further objections. When they heard the truth in its context, they believed and embraced the truth. How many lies have you believed or how many times have you been deceived or you misunderstood something because you didn't have all the facts? And once you had the facts, it made sense. That's what happened here. Peter goes to Jerusalem. They're upset with him for eating with the Gentiles. And he says, well, here's the deal. This is what God did. Oh, all right. Makes sense. Secondly, What do you need to learn? You need to enlarge your view of God. Verse 18, so God had granted repentance resulting in life to even the Gentiles. You see, sometimes we put God in a box and we say that God's not for that person or that person. We need to approach every single person we meet as one who needs God. And we need to expand our our view of the kingdom of God and how we're to work together for the purpose of the gospel. As I said, man created denominations. God did not do that. And we all have our different flavors. And I'm talking about the the denominations or the 
the, the way that we uh, live out our faith, or they're, of course, non-denominational churches. We all have our different angles and aspects. As long as we're not compromising the doctrine of God's truth, and especially the gospel itself, we need to broaden our understanding of how God uses all of us to advance his kingdom. You know, the Baptists aren't the only ones who have the angle on the gospel. We need to have a kingdom mindset and a kingdom view. And that's what they were learning. Notice another thing the critic can learn is that wisdom does not dwell within you but within God. Do you really understand everything you need to know about your situation? The best way to handle it? What is right? What is the truth about it? We need God's wisdom. And that's why he constantly desires to reveal himself to you. Peter thought he was right in the way he viewed others as it related to the gospel. But God reveals wisdom to him about that. Also notice that he wants you to be an agent of truth, not somebody who rejects the truth or hinders the truth. You may not like the way somebody's doing that, but you don't reject or hinder the way that God is using them. A Christian, a church, should always be willing to learn truth and share truth for the purpose of reconciling each other to God and to themselves. Another thing a critic can learn is once you know the truth, God wants you to stop being critical. Verse 18, when they heard this, they became silent. There's nothing more to say. We know the truth. Also, God wants you to praise him when you accept the truth. Verse 18 says, they glorified God. They celebrated the win of what God was doing. Now, what are some practical steps in how to apply this message today? Let me give you a few takeaways. Number one, if you have sinned, if the problem where there's no reconciliation is because of your sin, you go to that person. Matthew 5, Jesus said, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, you're at church, you're worshiping, and you're getting ready to give, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So if, if, if I have sinned against somebody, I go. Notice, secondly, if someone has sinned against you, you should go. Matthew 18, Jesus said, classic passage, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he sins against you, go. So what does this mean? If I've caused the problem, I go. If somebody else caused the problem, I go. The ball's in my court. It's not in their court. Well, I'm going to wait for them to come to me and apologize. And what the Bible says if I know there's something wrong, then I have to go. In all of this, you're praying for you and for them. You're praying for the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're praying that God will give you wisdom, that he'll prepare their hearts. And then when you go, confess your sin and then ask for forgiveness. You know, there are two very powerful sentences in the English language that would resolve many of the problems in relationships. Number one, I'm sorry. Even if you're 10% wrong, it'll open the door for the other 90% to be dealt with. Am I not right? If you just take the 10% and say, I'll own it. I'm sorry for doing this. Other person often will say, no, you're not the problem. I'm the problem. And, and, and it will open the door of reconciliation. And then when they do that, if they come to you and say, I'm sorry, what do you say? I forgive you. That's a powerful sentence. 
to know I'm forgiven. I forgive you. So then you forgive yourself and you forgive them. Now don't be discouraged if they don't want to reconcile with you. You've done your part. You've gone to them, you've tried, and you let that happen. You know, forgiveness doesn't always lead to reconciliation. Sometimes that's not healthy. I could give you a few examples. Don't have time to do that now. But at least you try and make that attempt. Now, don't listen to the devil's lies. He's going to tell you it's not worth it. He's going to tell you it's going to get messy. He's going to tell you they're going to reject you. You're going to make things worse if you do this. Don't listen to the enemy. You listen to what God tells you to do as Peter. He heard God. He acted on what Peter said. Cornelius heard God. He acted on what God said. And the two came together and were reconciled. Now, after all that happens, whether it's good or bad, you move on. You move on. Don't keep going back to it. So the bottom line is this. God desires for you to be reconciled with him and with others. And today is my great privilege to offer you the opportunity to be reconciled with God right now. Today, he says, is the day of salvation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here who would say, Pastor, that's me. I've never really made things right with God in my life. And it's such a joy to be able to give you the right answer, to tell you how you can know God, that you can have your sin forgiven, that you can become a new person in Christ and the old has passed away, that you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that means we're not doing anything physically there. It just means that we're appropriating what Christ did for you in your heart, that your sin can be forgiven. You're a new person in Christ. And it's a matter of you being willing to believe that what Jesus did is true, but more importantly, that you're receiving his gift of forgiveness of sin and eternal life by repenting of your sin, turning from your sin, and turning to Christ alone for your salvation. It is only through Christ. So today... When we sing this next song, it's my joy to invite you to come to Christ. To know the love of the Father for His child, for you. Secondly, no doubt, the Lord has probably put on your mind somebody who you need to reconcile with. You need to make things right. And ask God to give you wisdom to know how to do that. Ask him to show you if if you're at fault, where you are at fault. And that you're willing to own up to that and confess that. And begin to open that door of reconciliation. Look, it's for the gospel's sake. Others are watching how we treat each other as Christians. And so, so, so Jesus is at stake in this. It's not just about us. It's about him and it's about advancing the kingdom of God. They will know... That we are Christians, what? By our love. By our love. There might be some who are here today. God is leading you to become part of our church family. I've tried to help you understand a little bit of who we are and what we're about as it relates to the gospel. And so we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing in our church and through our church to reach the nations for the, for, uh, for the gospel. There might be others that you need to just pray here at the altar alone. 
Or maybe you want someone to pray for you, you come. God, thank you so much for making it possible that our sin could be forgiven and that we can know you. That that's how you have relieved the pressure point in relationships is through Christ. And we know how to deal with that stress that is so common and prevalent in our culture today. And Father, I pray that you will help these today be reconciled with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.